Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of John. John chapter 21, we're actually going to begin in verse 19 of chapter 20, uh, looking at in chapter 20 the, the words of Jesus in, 21 and, in verses 21 and 22, and then also the last couple verses of, of uh, John 20, and then on through 14 verses of John 21. So hear the word of the Lord. On the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And after He said this, He showed them His hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent Me, I am sending you. And with that, He breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone his sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of dis disciples which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to His disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathanael from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the, disciples whom Je the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have caught. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time the Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Let us pray. Lord, as we look at this account of your third appearance to the disciples, we ask 
that you change our lives. Your word is described as a double-edged sword, a sword that cuts through bone and marrow, a sword that cuts through everything that stands in the way of us and you. All of our pride, all of our sin, all of our self-centeredness, all of our self-reliance is cut to the quick by the Scriptures. Do that to us today as we open Your Word. Change us and draw us to You. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It was 1980, or excuse me, it was 1893 and, and Eli had a mission. Eli's mission was twofold. It was uh, one of the first great depressions, at least a deep recession in America, and Eli had a wife and five children, and he wanted to provide for his children, and so part of his mission was to provide for them. But Eli also had another mission. He wanted to move to a small town in America, and there on Main Street in that small town USA, he wanted to hang a shingle above a door that says, Eli, contractor. He wanted to be a general contractor. He wanted to build things. And so, fortunate enough for him, in Chicago that year, the World's Fair was expected the following year, and he was hired by the World's Fair to do whatever they asked him to do. If they asked him to lay concrete, he poured concrete. If they asked him to hook up copper wires for this newfangled alternating current, he hooked up copper wires. If they ask him to build something, he built it. If they ask him to slop warm horse manure upon freezing fire hydrants to avoid another fire in Chicago, he did whatever they said, whatever they said, whatever they needed done. Because he knew that if he learned all these skills, this job of becoming a contractor could be his one of these days. And that shingle, that mission of getting that shingle above the door would see its way through. Today we are going to look at the mission that Jesus has given to His disciples. We're going to look back to John chapter 20 and see what He has told them to do. We're going to look and see that Jesus gives us the mission. We're going to look and see that Jesus empowers us for the mission. And we're going to look and see that we should remember it's God's mission, not ours. First, Jesus gives the mission. Let's look back to John chapter 20, verse 21. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And then on to verse 31. But these, these accounts, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Jesus has died. Jesus has spent the three years prior to His death teaching the disciples everything that they would need to know, everything that they would remember and be reminded of by the Spirit when the Spirit comes upon them to fulfill this mission. It's, they've been in training for this. And Jesus summarizes everything here for them and He says, as the Father has sent Me, I am sending you. And that is the mission that the Father has, or that Jesus has given to the disciples. Now, that's rather cryptic language for us, and sometimes it's hard to understand, so let's unpack what it is that the mission is. The first thing is to reveal the Father. We're told all throughout the book of John uh, that John tells his disciples, he tells the crowd that whenever you look at me, you see the Father. 
We're told in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word became, the Word was God and the Word was with God. And we're told that the Word took on flesh and dwelt among us and became that perfect representation of the Father. That perfect disclosure of the Father as to who He was and to what work He was doing in this world. And so part of the disciples' mission is to reveal the Father as Jesus has revealed the Father. But there's a second part to the mission as well. We're not just revealing the Father because if we just reveal the Holy God, the perfect God, the righteous God, that leaves us in a place where we are without hope. So the second part of Jesus' mission was to provide eternal life. The mission He had from the Father, the mission He gave to the disciples was to provide eternal life. All of these things are written so that you might believe that Jesus is the Son of God and that by believing you may have life in His name. So the Father sent Jesus to reveal Himself and to provide eternal life. And Jesus says to the disciples, Just like the Father sent me, I am sending you. Your mission is to reveal the Father and to provide eternal life. Now, we need to admit that we cannot fulfill that mission in the same way that Jesus did. We are not the Word made flesh. We are not one who is going to die for the sins of others. We are not going to die and lay down our lives so that others might be redeemed because we cannot, because we are sinners. And yet we are about the mission of proclaiming the One who did that very thing. Our mission is different just as the soldier's mission was different than Eisenhower's. In World War II, the soldier and Eisenhower were sent to Europe to free France and Europe from the control of the German armies and the German dictator. But they both had different roles in carrying it out. One had authority, one was a servant. One had power, one was a representative. And so our mission, the mission of the disciples, is to reveal the Father and to provide eternal life through the proclamation of the Gospel. We do this by proclaiming the Gospel to ourselves. We do this by proclaiming the Gospel to others who desperately need forgiveness of sin. So Jesus gives the mission. But Jesus doesn't only give the mission to His disciples, He also empowers the mission. We look through this particular passage in John 21 and we see some very we see two ways in which Jesus empowers the mission. First is the miraculous. They had caught nothing. They'd been up fishing all night, which was the the best time during this this time period to fish. It still is now oftentimes. But they'd been up all night, they had fished, they had done what they had done to provide a living for themselves for so many years and they had been completely unsuccessful in it. And then upon the shore about a hundred yards away, right at daybreak, uh, they see a man standing there. Now, people look at this when they say that the disciples did not recognize Jesus and they see this as a critical point, a point of criticism for the Gospel that you know, they should have known Jesus. They've already seen Him twice, right? In the resurrected form. But imagine yourself on a boat. You've been up all night, working hard, fishing. The sun is just barely above the horizon and somebody is standing a hundred yards away. How good would you be at recognizing them at that point in the day? 
nothing nefarious going on here. They're just human. And somebody is standing a football field length away. The lighting is bad. They're really tired and they don't recognize who he is. But he tells them to throw the net in. And they catch fish. They catch more than the nets could hold. Uh, we're told this is the second time this, this, um, this miracle is done for the disciples. And uh, we'll look at the first time here in a few minutes. But this is the second time that the miracle is done for the disciples. The first time the nets broke. This time, miraculously, the nets stayed together. Jesus empowers the mission that He gives to His disciples. He does it through the work of His Spirit. He does it through His miraculous work as God. As we proclaim eternal life, as we reveal the Father to the world around us, is it our words that convert is it our words that save? Is it our words that grow the church? No. It's the power of God through the Holy Spirit. It's the power of Jesus through the Spirit that has been given that does all those things. So Jesus empowers the mission by providing His miraculous power to the words and to the actions that His people go about. But He also empowers the mission by strengthening the disciples. What does He do here? Well, number one, He reminds them of the work that He's already done. As we read through this passage of John chapter 21, there are some signal words that should make us look back and think about the rest of the Gospel of John. Cana of Galilee. Does that remind you of anything? Maybe John chapter 2 where the water was turned to wine or later on in John when the official comes to him and says, my servant my, is dead. Will you heal him? Excuse me, my son is dead. And Jesus heals him from a long distance. Fish and bread. Ring a bell? How about there along the Sea of Galilee on the shores on the mountainside along the Sea of Galilee when over 5,000 people 5,000 men were gathered, not counting the women and children. And they had no food except for a few fish and a few loaves of bread. And Jesus blessed it and broke it and gave it to people and they were fed. Jesus reminds them and us of the ministry and He strengthens them by reminding Him of His teaching. There are other things in here as well that remind us of the teachings and ministry of Jesus. But then he calls his people together, his disciples together there upon the shore, and he cooks some breakfast. We oftentimes forget that we need to be strengthened for the mission that we have been given. Jesus feeds his, his disciples right there on the shore. They've been up, they've been busy, they've been working all night. And, and sometimes when we are about the mission of the church, when we are about the mission of, of, of God, we we just work and we're busy and we push ourselves and we continue to run and to flounder and to weaken. And we forget that every now and then we need to be strengthened. How does Christ strengthen us today? Well, He strengthens us through worship. As we gather together in fellowship and encourage one another, we, we sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs. We listen to the preaching and the teaching of the Word. We bear one another's burdens. We rejoice with each other and we weep with each other. And we are strengthened in the fellowship of the people through worship. We are strengthened and fed by eating the Word, by ingesting the Word of God in, once again, corporate worship, but in our own lives. 
Do you feel weak in the mission that Jesus has given you? Do you feel weary in the mission that Jesus has given you? Are you taking your sustenance daily from the Word? I doubt any of us in here would forget to eat a meal when we're tired, when we're hungry. But when we're tired and hungry in the work of God, do we feed our souls through the Word and through prayer? So Jesus empowers the mission by giving the spiritual power, but also sustaining His people. The last thing we see, if it is Jesus that gives the mission, and it is Jesus that empowers the mission, we must remember it's His mission. And He defines the parameters of it. As I mentioned a few minutes ago, this is the second time that they have had a miraculous catch of fish. If we were to look back to the Gospel of Luke, we would see at the beginning of Jesus' ministry, He is there teaching in the Sea of Galilee. He is standing in a boat and, and several of the disciples are there with Him. They've been up all night once again or once before fishing all night and not catching a single thing. Jesus is standing in the boat. He completes His teaching. He turns to probably John and Peter and He says, cast your nets over there and see what happens. And they do. They have this great catch of fish and the nets begin to rip. There are so many fish. The boats, the two boats there together almost sink as they haul these fish in. And what is it that Jesus says to the disciples there? Hey, you think this is a great thing? I'm not calling you to be fishermen. I'm calling you to be fishers of men. Oftentimes, Peter and the disciples here in this, this particular passage kind of get a bad rap. Actually, commentators are split on the actions and the sinfulness or unsinfulness of the actions of Peter and the disciples. Some commentators say, you know what, Jesus has died. He's shown up to them a couple times. Yeah, He said He is going to send them into the world. But He's not really given them any other instructions. And you know what, it's just natural to go back to what we knew. These men were fishermen. For three years, they took a break from being fishermen. And you know what? They went back to what they knew. Everything's changed. They're sitting there together in Galilee. Jesus has told them, according to the other Gospels, to go to Galilee. They're just waiting for Him. And they say, you know what? Let's go fishing. Let's do what we always did. Other commentators look at it and say, no, Jesus has given them the mission. He said, I've given you the Spirit. I've sent you into the world. The last thing on their mind should be fishing. They should only be thinking about portraying and proclaiming the Gospel to the world like we see in Acts. And so they are sinning in doing this. Now, I have to agree with D.A. Carson. I kind of find somewhere fall somewhere in the middle of this. I don't think this is a sinful act, but I also think it wasn't a well-thought-through act. Because there is a sense in which, hey, Jesus has sent us out into the world and hey, what we know about the world is fishing, so let's do Jesus' mission our way. Let's go fishing. He said we were going to be fishers of men. So let's go fish. And so they go fish. But Jesus says, I called you to be fishers of men. And what we see as they seek and as they strive to do God's mission their way, does it work? No, they fished all night and didn't catch a thing. Very much like the last time they fished all night. Have you ever been at a point in your life where you're just, okay, God's given me something to do, and, and man, I'm just going to pound it. I'm just going to do it. I'm just going to go at it. And we get nowhere. 
We bounce back and forth from job to job as we seek God's call. We, we struggle in our marriage. We struggle with our friendships. We struggle with proclaiming the gospel. It's because oftentimes what we do is we say, God, this is what I'm doing. Come on. God, here is how I am working for you. Bless it. This, this passage here says, no. God defines how the mission looks. He directs us where to go. He directs us. And we don't ask Him to bless what we do. We come alongside what He is blessing. And we can see that He is blessing things by success in our lives. Sometimes. I don't mean success necessarily in the excuse me, financial sense. But do we undertake something and it happens for us? This, there's, a, there's a saying that goes around that says whenever God... Uh, closes a door, He opens a window. Sometimes God leaves all the doors open. It's the ones that we just can't walk through that are the wrong ones. And what He is telling the disciples here says, yes, you're working. You're doing something with your time. You're not being idle. You're trying to glorify Me, but that's not the mission I gave you. The mission I gave you will be empowered by the Spirit in Acts chapter 2 and the world will change. Sometimes we have to wait on God to reveal exactly what the mission is. Sometimes we have to walk through those open doors that aren't the right doors and find out that they're wrong. I spent nine years fishing before I finally gave up and went to seminary. And finally, all those doors that were open to me, all those jobs I had that were never slammed in my face, I, find out, I found out why they didn't work. It's because I was fishing but not for men. I was working, but not for God. I was working for me. And so what we see here is that even though Jesus gives the mission, even though Jesus, since Jesus gives the mission, since Jesus empowers the mission, we have to remember it's His mission and He directs it. So Eli did eventually get his shingle above the storefront on Main Street, USA, but not quite in the way he expected. He worked at the World's Fair in Chicago, and after it opened, he continued to work there to do maintenance on the rides and the buildings, and, and he would come home at night and he would tell his children tales of the magnificent things, the Ferris wheels that he saw, the electric lights that were there at the Chicago's World Fair, and the firework displays that he saw on a regular basis. Um, Eli's youngest son actually took these stories most to heart. And as I mentioned, Eli died before he ever actually saw his shingle above the door. But did you know you can see Eli's shingle above a door now? You can see it in Orlando, you can see it in Anaheim, and you can see it in Paris and Beijing. Because as you enter any of Walt Disney's properties, you walk down Main Street, USA, and there's, there's an apothecary, there's a bakery, there's a clothing store and there's a jewelry store in each of those Main Street USAs. And if you look up above on the window, you'll see Elias Disney, contractor established 1895. Each of us have a mission from God. Whether you're called into corporate life, whether you're called to be a doctor, a housewife, a minister, a mechanic, a factory worker, or a farmer, Whatever it is, we each have a mission from God. And sometimes those missions get difficult. 
But we remember in the midst of the difficulties of those missions, those missions are given to us by God. Parents, your children are your mission. One of your missions. Reveal to them the Father and proclaim to them the Gospel. Employees, your jobs are one of your missions. Reveal the Father and proclaim the Gospel. Wherever you are in life, we have a mission from God. And we also have the power to do that mission. Whether it's feasting and feeding on the Word in corporate worship and in private worship. Or the spiritual power that God gives to make His mission successful in us. We have the power to complete it. No matter how much culture wars against us. The power is there. But we also need to remember that God defines the mission. God defines how we complete it. He is the benevolent general, the benevolent king whom we follow along and do what He blesses. And so be praying that God makes it clear to you what your mission is. And then make sure you're doing His work, not your own. Let us pray. Our gracious and holy God, our Lord and Father above, You are King of all things. You are the One who has proclaimed peace and sent Your Son to procure that peace. And just as You sent Him to reveal and to give life, You have sent us to reveal and to give life. Help us to be wise enough to follow You. Help us to have our eyes opened enough so that we can see Your path and Your glory. And that we pursue what You bless instead of asking You to bless what we pursue. We pray all this in Christ's precious name. Amen.